city and in the world. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 20. And if you are able, if you can stand with me for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Yes, God, this is your word. And God, this is your word for us today. And God, we recognize that apart from you, We can't see the things you would have us see. And we can't hear the words you would have us hear. So God, right now, we just open our hearts to you. God, we come as we are. Broken. Weak. Sinful. Frail. Anxious. Lonely, depressed. God, would you come and just meet us where we are? You see where each one of us is. And I pray, God, that you would tailor your grace to meet us right where we are. So, God, make your presence known here in this place. Father, we also recognize that there's a battle taking place right now, right here, right now in this room. There are forces of the kingdom of light, and there are forces of the kingdom of darkness in conflict. And so, God, right now, in the name and the power and the authority that is ours in Jesus, we rebuke every demonic force. And we bind every demonic activity. God, have your way. Have your way. And God, have your sway in every heart and mind in this place. God, please, we are desperately in need of you. God, I desperately need you right now. God, would you strengthen me? the task of testifying to your word. We commit our hearts and we commit this time into your hands. God, be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jen Wilkin, in her book, Ten Words to Live By, writes, In 1879, the modern world changed forever with the patent. It was issued for the invention of a carbon filament made of cotton and linen thread, wood splints, papers coiled in various ways. A process which, after fine-tuning, would launch a company dedicated to commercial production of the electric light bulb. The Edison Electric Company offered its customers a safer, cleaner, cheaper alternative to gaslight. And as electric power began to replace gas in homes and factories, for the first time in human history, work was no longer limited to the time between sunrise and sunset. With his modern utterance of let there be light, Thomas Alva Edison invited humanity into a world that never sleeps. In fact, Edison himself believed that sleep was a waste of time. Anybody else feel that way about sleep? That it feels like a waste of time. You ever think, man, if I just didn't have to sleep, the stuff that I would get done, right? I'd get so much more work done if I didn't require sleep. Well, that's how Edison thought. He was known to work over a hundred hours a week. He would hold job interviews at four in the morning. Why? Because he insisted that his employees keep the same sleepless schedule he did. Edison believed that rest was the enemy of productivity, stating there's really no reason why men should go to bed at all. Well, it would appear that Edison's vision of a sleepless society, a humanity that has no need of rest, has come to pass. Because if there was ever a generation that did so much with so little rest, we are undoubtedly it. In fact, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has declared sleep deprivation a national epidemic. That large uh, numbers of Americans aren't getting enough rest and consequently are experiencing a host of problems it contributes to, such as cancer, obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and depression. And my guess is that a good portion of us in this room aren't getting the amount of rest that our body and our souls need. While Edison uttered, let there be light, and ushered humanity into a whole new way of life, a life that seeks to maximize production and minimize rest, the God who first said, let there be light, also declared, let there be rest. And that's what this fourth commandment is all about. It is a command from the creator to his creature to make rest a priority. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. Now the command here is clear, is it not? In a given week, we are to work for six days. 
And then on the seventh day, we are to rest from our work as if that was one of the most important things we can do that week. Now, this fourth command is unique, not only in that it's the longest and the most detailed of the Ten Commandments, but it's the only one that comes with a reason, a why. God doesn't do that with any of the other commandments. You shall not commit adultery, and here's why that's a bad idea. Don't lie, and here's why you should not be doing that. This is the only one that has a why behind it, and here it is. Here's the why. Because God did. Because God rested. The command, the basis of his command is to rest because God rested. And we are pointed back to what? To creation. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Make sure you catch that. God rested. Let me say that again. God the omnipotent creator, the almighty God who requires no sleep or a day off, the God who never gets tired or weary, he rested. And the question is why? Here's why. Because he was building into creation a rhythm. A pattern of our life is to be lived And guys, it's a cadence of work and rest that is as vital to our survival and our well-being as food and water and oxygen. And the call here is to remember that we are image bearers. That as creatures who bear the image of God, we are to reflect Him in the way we live out our days. And the word rest here in Hebrew is Shabbat. And this is where we get our word Sabbath. And the word Shabbat literally means to stop or to cease. To stop working. Stop laboring. Stop wanting, just stop. All of which begs the question, why? Why is God so intent on having his people stop from their work and rest? Why is that so important to him? We find the answer in the two words that are associated with the Sabbath at the end of verse 11. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. First, the Sabbath is blessed, which in Hebrew is barak, just like the former president. And a barak or a blessing often refers to life, life. The ability to give life or make more life. And in the creation account in Genesis, we see God blessing three things. First, he blesses the animals by saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And then he blesses mankind, Adam and Eve, and he pretty much says the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And then he blesses of all things a day. The Sabbath. Why? What does that tell us? It tells us that the Sabbath was made by God to give us life. Just like the animals and just like humanity, the Sabbath has the capacity to procreate and bring life. In fact, the word Shabbat doesn't just mean to stop. It also means to celebrate or delight. 
And we see this in the creation account as well, do we not? After God creates the universe, what does he do? He steps back and examines all that he had done, all that he had made, his handiwork, and he declares what? It is good. And he just delights in his handiwork. He delights in his world. So Sabbath is not just a day to not work. It's a day to stop and delight, to delight in the goodness of God. To delight in all that he has given you, all that he has done for you that week, and just delighting in that. And Dan Allender writes about this in his work, Sabbath, his book, Sabbath. He writes, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. Sabbath is the holy time when we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. And all of this is rooted in God, who set aside an entire day just to delight in the world that that he has made. So that's the first word, blessed. The second is holy. Now the word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And this is a weighty word. This is the word that's used most often to describe who? God. God is kadosh. He is holy. Now check this out. In hermeneutics, which is what we call the interpretation of the Bible, there's a principle called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. What that means is that when the first time you see a word in the Bible, what it's doing is setting the stage for how that word is to be seen or read all the way through. Now, did you know that the first time the word kadosh is mentioned in the Bible, it's used not to describe God, but a day. The first use of the word holy in the Bible is to describe time. And this is fascinating. The Sabbath was a time that was holy. It's set apart from all the other days. How? In what sense? In the sense that it's a day where we are reminded that God is the source of our lives. That he is the center. That God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our very existence. And we see this in what takes place just a few chapters before in Exodus 16. Moses and the Israelites are out in the wilderness and they're hungry, they're starving. So what does God do? What does he provide? He provides manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And it literally falls from the sky every morning and all they have to do is go out and pick it up. Now there was one exception. On the sixth day, twice as much fell from the sky. Why? Because on the seventh day, nothing would come down. And Moses says this, Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, on the seventh day, you are not to look up to the sky to get bread. You are to look up to the sky to worship. You are to look up to the sky to worship the one who gives you bread. The one who gives you life and breath and everything. 
So the Sabbath is blessed by God to give us life, and it's been made holy so that we can worship the God who gives us life. Are you with me? That means when you and I Sabbath, we run everything through that grid, everything through that framework. Is it restful? Is this life-giving? Does this give me life? Does this prompt me to delight in God? Does this prompt me to worship God in all his goodness? If it does, then I do it. I engage in it. I revel in it. If I don't, then I hold off until the next day. Here's the point I'm trying to make. There's a, there's a rhythm to this world. There's a rhythm that God built into this world for six days we work, but on the seventh day we push the pause button. We stop so that we can smell the roses. We stop so that we can delight in God and all that he has done, all that God has given us, and we worship him for it. And every week, every week, God gives us this gift. Every single week, God gives us the gift of rest and when we don't receive it when we don't take it when we reject this rhythm that God built into the world we do we do so to our own detriment and we reap the consequences fatigue burnout anxiety anger depression hurriedness bad health and bad relationships all of these are symptoms of a life without rest. And the last time people tried to change this divine rhythm, mess with it, was during the French Re Revolution. And some of you may know, know this. The French, good old French, they changed the seven-day work week to a 10-day work week. Why? For two reasons. First, to de-Christianize society. They're trying to get rid of everything that's Christian, even the Christian calendar. Second, to increase productivity. Because surely you could get more, a lot more done in 10 days and 7, right? Wrong. Disaster ensued. The economy crashed, suicide rates skyrocketed, and productivity plunged. Things got worse on every front in society, and so they had to revert. They had to go back to the 7-day week as God intended. Could this be the reason God commands us to rest? Think about it. God actually commands his people to rest, which was completely the opposite of what the gods of Egypt and Canaan demanded. The pagan gods of that time demanded labor without rest, and so the people worked ceaselessly to earn and garner their favor and their blessing, but not the God of Israel. He commanded his people to rest, knowing that if it were up to them, if it were up to us, we keep going and going and going until we run ourselves into the ground. So God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart from all the other days of the week. Now flip over in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 5. The word Deuteronomy means second law. Second law. Why is it called the second law? Because Moses is retelling the law to a new generation. Now what happened to the previous generation? The one that was liberated from slavery in Egypt. They died off. 
Because of their unbelief, God had them wander in the, in the wilderness, the desert, for 40 years. And now they're all dead. And the whole new generation is about to enter the promised land, so God gives the law a second time to his people. And here in Deuteronomy 5, we have the Ten Commandments again. And it's almost identical to the one we find in Exodus 20. Look at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So up to this point, it's pretty much the same. But then it ends on a very different note. Verse 15. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, don't miss this because this is huge. In Exodus, the Sabbath is grounded in creation. But here in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in redemption. In Exodus, Sabbath is a way of saying yes to God and his ways. Here in Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its slavish ways. In Exodus, God reminds Israel, I am your creator. Here in Deuteronomy, God reminds Israel, I am your deliverer. You see, Sabbath was to be a time when they remembered that they were once an enslaved people. And slaves don't get a Sabbath. If you're a slave, you don't get a day off to rest. If you're a slave, all you are is a commodity. That's all you are. And the only value you have is what you produce. And so they work all day, every day, until they die. And that's what we read in Exodus. The people of God were worked into the ground, and they could not stop working. Why? Because it was never enough. No matter how much they produced, it just wasn't enough. There were more bricks to be made, more monuments to be erected, more cities to be built. There was always more, more, more. So life in Egypt was characterized by endless work, endless labor. And God tells his people, remember that. Remember that. Don't you forget what life was like because he knows that the moment they enter the promised land, you know what's going to be waiting there for them? Pharaoh. Not the actual Pharaoh. That dude's dead. But the ghost of Pharaoh is alive and well. And God knows that it's waiting there to enslave his people all over again. How? By making them think that no matter how much they work, it wasn't going to be enough. That no matter how much they had, how much they accumulated for themselves, it's never going to be enough. You see, the first time God gave his people the law, they had nothing. They had nothing. They were liberated slaves who had nothing but God. But 40 years later, as this new generation is about to enter the promised land, God knows, God knows that, that it's not going to take long before wealth building to begin again. 
and for the people to feel the pull to return to the yoke of slavery, not to a tyrant, but to the endless desire for more. This is the enslavement that has the world in bondage today. This is the enslavement that has a lot of us in bondage today. This is the voice in the back of our minds that says it's not enough. It's not enough. You got to do more. It's not enough. You got you to have more. It's not enough. You got to produce more. You got to work more. It's not enough. You need more. And it doesn't help that we live in a society that tells us that every single day of our lives, man, you can't drive down the road. You can't, you can't look at your phone for 30 seconds. You can't go online without something screaming at you. Get more. Have more. Do more. You need more because what you have isn't enough. And frankly, this is why so many of us work the way we do. This is why. Because we believe that we are only as good as what we have, as what we produce, as what we do. This is what Tim Keller called the work behind the work. The work behind the work. And what that means is that for most of us, there's an underlying reason we work so hard. And it's not because you've got a fantastic work ethic. It's because that's how you get your worth and value. That's how you get your identity. That's how you prove to the world, I'm somebody. Look at me, I matter. Look, look, I'm important. By how much money you make. By the things that you have. The things that you own. The things that you're able to do. The social stratus that, you, that it propels you into. That's, that's what work is for most of us. We as Americans are working more than ever before, and every study shows us. We are working more than ever before. Our work week is ever increasing. And that's due in large part to technology. We were promised that technology would make our lives easier. And in a lot of ways it has. But make no mistake, it has made our lives busier, more wired, more hurried, and more stressful than ever before. You used to, there was once a day where you used to have to go into the office or the job site to work. Hard to believe, right? Now all you have to do is open up your laptop. You just got to unlock your phone. Now, I'm not saying technology is all bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. It has a lot of great benefits. But guys, it's also a serious detriment to the kind of life that God intends for us. And we need to recognize that. Every generation has its blind spots. Every generation. And I'm convinced with all my heart that this is one of our biggest. This is one of our biggest bondages. Remember when the Blackberry came out? Anybody used to have one? What do they call it? Crackberry. Why? 
Because it's like crack, it's so addictive, you can't put it down, right? People couldn't put it down, and it's no different today. We can't put down our phones. And it introduced us to a life where work and connection, it's available 24-7. We have a serious need in our day to learn how to disconnect, unplug, power down and take a break from those things that keep us from being fully present and keep us from being in one place at one time. But the truth is we work more than ever before. And we have, you and I have, we have more than ever before. But get this, we are as unhappy as ever. You know this, we are the most anxious, depressed generation in the history of the world. One out of 10 Americans, one out of 10 are on antidepressants. Why? Why is that? Because we're not machines, that's why. We're human, we're human beings made in the image of God. And we can't be connected all the time. We're not meant to be. We can't be running all the time. We can't work all the time. We can't. We're not meant to. And when we do, we pay the price. This is why God is telling the people, remember. Remember that you were once slaves, but you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. You're free now. I've delivered you from from bondage. You're free. No more working seven days a week because your identity is no longer tied to what you can produce. And Sabbath is a way of waging war against that. It's an act of defiance. It's an act of resistance against the endless desire for more that consumes our world. John Mark Homer says this, Sabbath is a way to say enough. Enough work. Work is a good thing, but it's not the thing. There's more to life than production. Sabbath is a way to break our addiction to accomplishment. Enough stuff. We don't need any more than we already have. Sabbath is a way to break from our addiction to accumulation. Enough is enough. I do not have to buy more. I do not have to sell more. I do not have to move up in the company. I do not have to get the perfect score. I do not need another stamp on my passport. I do not need to be younger or more beautiful or fat, flat, or abs. Although, man, that would be nice. I don't need to have my kids in ballet and soccer all year long. I don't need to make everybody happy. I don't need to get everything I want. I don't have anything to prove. Why? Because I'm not a slave anymore, that's why. I'm free. I'm free. And I'm part of, a, I'm part of another kingdom now whose king is good and benevolent. He's not a slave driver. He's not a workaholic who says work, sleep is a waste of time. No, he's a good God who calls me to rest. And he calls me to rest to remind me that I am not what I do. That I'm not my work. I am not what I have. I am not where I live. I am not what I drive. I'm not what I wear. I'm not what I can produce. I am not what I can accomplish. 
And he commands me to rest so that I I can be reminded that I'm not as important as I think I am. So that I'm reminded that I am not as important as I think I am. You see, Sabbath is a weekly reminder that we are not the ones in charge. He is. Oh, I love how Jen Wilkin put it. Listen to what she says. More than the deliberate cessation of work for the purpose of decompressing. Sabbath is the deliberate cessation of any activity that might reinforce my belief in my own self-sufficiency. It requires that we deny ourselves the material gain or sense of accomplishment a day of labor brings. Our natural inclination is to believe that we are the ones that's keeping the world rotating on its axis. Sabbath presses on that mindset. It is not merely a rest that restores, but a rest that reorients. It reminds us that we are not God. Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. That is why Sabbath is ultimately an expression of faith, right? It's an act of trust that God is my father. My father owns the world. And I'm his child. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And he has promised to give me all that I need. He has promised to meet my every need. I mean, think about what this meant for Israel. In an agrarian society, every day, survival was an everyday challenge. Every day you had to go and get water. Every day you had to water the crops. If you don't, serious complications arise. And yet God tells that that people, stop. On the seventh day, don't do anything. Don't water, don't harvest, don't do any of that. Why? So that their trust would be in him. Not in themselves. So that they would have to trust God to make up the difference and meet their needs. You see, God is not after people who say, I have what I have because of me. He's after people who say, I have what I have because of him. Because of God. Because God has given me what I have. Because God has given me what I need. Really, everything that I am, everything that I have is because of him. I'm living under his roof. I'm drinking his water. I'm eating his food. I'm breathing his oxygen. And Sabbath is a weekly reminder that there's a God and I'm not him. And as followers of Christ, listen to me. As Christians, as believers, we can rest from our work. Because our work does not define us. Jesus and his work defines us. And that's what it means to be Christian at the most fundamental level. That he is my identity. He is my worth. He's my value. And until you see that, until you get that, you will never find rest from work. Never. 
In Genesis 2, we see God crying, it is finished, because he had completed the work of creation. Centuries later, Jesus cried out, it is finished, as he hung on the cross. Now, the first time God said it, he rested. The second time he said it, it was so that you and I can rest. Can you see that? The first time God said it, he rested. The second time he said it as he hung on the cross, it was so that you and I can rest. Listen to what Hebrews 4, 9 says. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered the rest, God's rest has also rested from his work as God rested from his. In other words, until you believe the gospel, listen to me. Until you believe the gospel truth that the significance that you're striving after is to be significant in him, that the security that you're desperate for is to be secure in God's love, that the approval that you you long for is to be approved in the eyes of God, until you see that you will never find rest from work. But when you get that, when you see that, oh, you'll be free. You'll be free. It'll free you from the work under the work. And work is no longer a proven ground. It's no longer a place where I try to prove my work to the world. No, it's simply a means by which I serve the king and live out my calling and bless the world. And this is the rest Jesus offers us in him and his Sabbath rest. Speaking of Jesus and Sabbath... Did you know that he often got into trouble on the Sabbath? You see this all throughout the Gospels, right? Story after story after story. Jesus gets in trouble with the religious leaders over the Sabbath. For example, Mark tells of the time when he and the disciples are walking through a grain field. And the disciples start picking off the grains of, uh, the heads of grain and eating it because they're hungry. And the Pharisees see this and they have a cow. They melt down and they go, what are you guys doing? You can't do that on the the Sabbath. That's unlawful. That's work. And what does Jesus say in response? He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the whole purpose of the Sabbath is to bless man. It's for the good of man, not the other way around. Jesus says, if you think God cares more about some rule than people, than men, you are missing it. You don't get it. And then he says this, so the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. That is, I determine what is lawful on the Sabbath. You know why? Because I, the Lord, determined or instituted the Sabbath to begin with. But there's a deeper meaning to what Jesus says here. By declaring that I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is also saying this. He's saying, I am the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath rest. I am your true rest. And this is what Paul says in Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Did you catch that? Paul says the Sabbath, you know what it is? All it is is a shadow. It's just a shadow of the substance. In other words, the laws that God gave Israel were symbols of a greater reality, Christ. Christ is the greater reality. He's the substance. And now that we have the substance, now that we have the greater reality, the shadow doesn't mean all that much. And that's why the first believers, the early Christians, the early church started worshiping or started observing the Sabbath on Sunday as opposed to Saturday, which is when the Israelites observed the Sabbath. Why? Because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead and conquered the grave. Now, because the Sabbath was but a shadow to the substance, there are some today who say we don't have to observe it. We Christians don't have to observe the Sabbath. That was for them. That was for the Old Testament, Old Covenant. And they see the fourth commandment here is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not reiterated in the New Testament, and they're right. But here's where they're wrong. Here's what they're missing. The Sabbath predates the law. It predates the law. God built it into creation. He instituted it way before, thousands of years before God gave Moses the law. So while the technicalities of the Sabbath no longer apply to us because of Christ, the principle still does. The principle of rest is still binding for us under the new covenant. So guys, we cannot see this as an optional part of our life in God. No, this is an essential part of our discipleship to Christ. So let me conclude by giving some practical ways we can live this out in our lives. Because here's the truth. Most Christians don't live this out. Most of us don't live this out. Not in the way we're supposed to. Now, we love our time off, right? We love the weekends. We love vacations. We love holidays. We love that time off so that we can play and recreate, and that's all great. But that is not the same as taking a Sabbath. Eugene Peterson calls that a bastard Sabbath because they're not legitimate rest that God intends for his people. So let's talk about some ways that we can observe the Sabbath in a way that honors God and brings refreshment to our souls. And a couple of these are from Pete Scazzaro, so I want to give him credit. First, stop. Stop. Sabbath is first and foremost the day of stopping. So establish a rhythm in your life for for every seven days, every seven days. For a period of 24 hours, you stop working. Do nothing related to work for a 24-hour period each week. Now, let me say this. This is going to be incredibly hard for a lot of us, okay? It's going to be incredibly hard. In fact, some of you right now are thinking, there's no way I can do this. No way. And the reason we think that is because we're not used to stopping something until we feel like we're done with it, right? 
Because, man, we got, we got assignments to finish. We got deadlines that are coming up. We got projects to finish. Man, I got, I got emails. I got phone calls to return. I got, I got bills to pay. There's no shortage of stuff that I got to do. But Sabbath is a day where I embrace my limits. Let me say that again. Sabbath is a day where I embrace my limits. It's a day where I remind myself of the truth that I'm a finite being with real limitations. Limited time, limited energy, limited resources, limited bandwidth. And I can embrace that. I'm good with that. And I can stop. You know why? Because God is on the throne. Because my father is the king of the universe. And he is faithful. And he is good. And he has promised to take care of my every need. Schizero writes, life on the side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. I love that. Life on the side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. We accomplish one goal and then immediately are confronted with new opportunities and challenges. But ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals. That's okay. God is at work taking care of the universe. He manages quite well without us having to run things. When we are sleeping, he is working. So he commands us to relax, to enjoy the fact that we are not in charge of this world. Every Sabbath reminds us to be still and know that he is God. So the core issue when it comes to the Sabbath for us is trust, right? That's the bottom line. Will I trust God in this? Will I trust God enough to stop? Trusting that if I stop, God's going to make up the difference and he's going to come through for me. But God says to you and me, you can trust me. You can trust me in this. And if you trust me in this, I will. I will make up that difference. I will come through for you. You can trust me enough to stop. First, stop. 24-hour period, just stop. No work. No work. Second, Rest. Rest. Sabbath is a day to rest. Not only from work, but from things like running errands, paying the bills, cleaning the house, and I would add technology. I'm talking cell phones. Laptops, iPads, I told you this is going to be hard. But take a break and disconnect. Take a break. And disconnect from those things that are constantly vying for our attention. Because did you know that the average person reaches for their phone? You know how often? Every three minutes. All throughout the day. We reach for our phones on average every three minutes. 75%, three out of four, 
75% of all people who have a cell phone say, I'm addicted. And I can't put it down. Man, if that's you, if you know in your heart that's me, take a break. Disconnect. But after 24 hour period, just disconnect. Unplug, power down. Now let's say you do that, okay? You take a break from the things that you normally would do. What do you do with all that time? Here's what you do. The answer is simple. Do whatever delights and replenishes you. Do whatever delights and replenishes you. Bill Gaultier says, Jesus' Sabbath days featured a lot of relaxation. He enjoyed going on leisurely walks in fields and by the lake, receiving hospitality from friends and retreating into extended hours of silence and solitude with the Father. We know that Jesus took naps and probably took naps on the Sabbath. Oh, I like that one. You want to be like Jesus? Take naps. For real. Take naps. Take a long extended nap if you're able to and be replenished. Go on long walks with your your spouse. Take your kids to the park. You know that book that you've you've been wanting to read for a while? Pick it up and read it. Go watch a movie. Go to dinner with your friends. Go check out that dessert place you've been wanting to try out and and get a few. Do whatever delights and replenishes you. Whatever's going to allow you to, to get your soul back, do that. Do whatever's going to allow you to get your soul back. And that leads to the third and final thing. Worship. Worship. There's nothing that is going to allow you and I to get our souls back like worshiping God and being in His presence. Amen? And for most of us, for most people, not so much for pastors and church staff, but for most of us, this falls on Sundays, right? That's when we cease from work and engage in worship as we gather together. And there's something special. There's something sacred about God's people coming together for worship, and that's why the Bible places such a premium on corporate worship. Yeah, you and I, can, we can worship God on our own. But there's something special when God's people come together to worship our God. And truthfully, guys, this is what makes Sunday so special. And on that note, let me encourage and let me exhort you to make Sunday gatherings a priority. Guys, make church a priority. Make church a priority. I know you got things to do. I know there are places you want to be at. I know there are people you want to meet. And a lot of times, Sunday mornings often seem like the best time to do it. They seem like the best time. But as one of your pastors 
want to ask you. I want to ask you to make our Sunday gatherings a priority in your life. Will you commit to planning a week around church and not over church? Knowing how vital this is to our life in God. How vital worship is, corporate worship is to our souls. And I want to say this to every parent here in this room. If you're a mom or dad, listen to me. I want to say this this to the parents. I want to ask this of you. Are you teaching your children that Sunday is a day we gather with God's people to worship the king? Or a day we try to squeeze that in? You see, every time your children are allowed to skip church for things like sports and birthday parties, you're communicating values. You're teaching your child what matters, what's really important. And I hope and I pray that of all the things you teach your children, oh, I pray that you would teach your children the value of God. that you would teach him or her the value of worship. That we come into this place week after week after week, not so that we can check off some religious box, no. We come here. We make it a priority to come here. Because as Augustine said, we were made for God. Oh, I want to teach my children that we were made for God. We were made for God. And our souls will be restless. until they find their rest in him. So stop, rest, and worship. Stop, rest, and worship. Lather, rinse, repeat. Anybody here feeling tired? Anybody feeling worn out? Anybody here weary? I am. I'm feeling all those things. I'm feeling all those things and more. And I'd make a confession if there's anybody that needs to hear this. today it's me because I suck at this I am terrible at resting and I'm paying the price if you're like me there's good news rest is available to us God gives the gift of rest every week in the Sabbath. And he gives you and me ultimate rest in his son. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into today. Listen to his words. I'm closing with this. Listen to his words. And I want to read it from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of message. 
tired, worn out, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God, help us to live freely and lightly. God, I know I'm not the only one here. I know I'm not the only one here in this room that just feels so worn out. God, would you give us the grace to come? To come to you as we are. In our feeble state in our weakness. And God, a lot of that, much of that is our own doing. God, much of that, we did it to ourselves. But God, I thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God. You're a loving Father who does not give us as we deserve. But you give us everything that we don't. And God, I pray for the tired and the weary here. God, would you grant them rest? I pray for my friends here, God, that you would grant them rest. The ones that are just so tired. They feel so tired. They put on a brave face. But in their heart, when they look in the mirror, they know I'm so worn out. Oh God, please beckon them. Call them to yourself. That in you, Jesus, we would find our rest. Not rest from favorable circumstances. Not the kind of rest that comes from everything going according to plan. But even when it's not, even when I'm inundated with stuff and trials and hardships, that's the kind of rest you want to give your people. That's the kind of rest, Jesus, you offer us in you. And so, Lord, we come right now. And God, we just open our hearts. We open our hearts to you. Jesus, be our rest. Oh, Jesus, be our rest. Jesus, be my rest. Be rest for my weary soul.